Okay, welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 148 with my guest, Jacqueline Russo. Jacqueline was a former student of mine at NYU. She's been on the podcast about a year and a half ago. She runs a bakery in Lower Manhattan called Party Bus Bake Shop. Uh, and I've been really proud to see Jacqueline go from a former student to sort of building her own life. And I'm really proud of her. And I reached out to her because I wanted to talk to her about what it's been like just opening a business and then a month later, two months later, the pandemic shuts everything down. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jacqueline. It's revealing um, and just honest. So enjoy it, learn from it, and I will look forward to talking to you all again soon. Okay, enjoy. This is Jacqueline Russo. Take care. Bye. Okay, Jacqueline Russo, my friend. Welcome back. How, your life changed clearly after the first podcast. You know, your whole world yeah. blew up. And, uh, you know, it's nice to have you back to talk about your newfound fame, your newfound <laughs> fortune. <laughs> um, well, first off, I wanted to thank you for the amazing uh, cinnamon bun recipe the last time we – cinnamon roll recipe that we chatted. Uh, the last time we hung was in your apartment um, yeah. <clears throat> before Christmas. Was that, that like, like two, two years, years ago? Was that two years? Two years. Maybe one and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Well, regardless, it feels like it was yesterday, but it turns out it was not. Um, but you, at that point, and and I'm I'm grateful for you to talk to me today because um, I, I've been sort of thinking about you a lot since this whole thing went down, and everybody's talking about like um, working in the food industry, what that's like, um, especially. I mean, given it's hard anyway. Um, and Everyone, right, yeah. it's hard even in a good economy to make a food service industry where or business work. And, um, you, I think at that point, a year and a half ago, were just on the cusp of opening. Is that right? So I had the business plan and was like, I hadn't told anyone yet, but I had a space and we were working on the lease. So like first baby steps. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, but you know, again, this was all, you were making plans in the sort of, in the vacuum of, uh, of your head, um, Mm -hmm. not even being able to fathom. And I'm saying this to sort of commiserate with you. Um, you don't, you don't start things and plan for a worldwide pandemic. So, um, you then, you then in that uh, year and a half time, you've opened a business called party bus bake shop and Mm -hmm. it's a bakery in New York city. And you, you opened the business. I saw you literally building it from scratch. You were posting stuff on Instagram. Your mom was coming to help your friends. You know, everybody was coming down to sort of help you thing. Seemed like you were open for about four days and then the pandemic hit. <laughs> and I know it's like, we're laughing about it. Um, because for me, it's like, otherwise I burst into tears and melt down. So, um, don't, don't take me laughing or joking about it as being flippant. Um, no, I'm right there with you. So I, I'd rather do that. Cry, yeah. So. <laughs> In the words of John Cage, laughter is preferable to tears. Um, mm-hmm. So all of that said, I I know a little bit about what my experience has been um, with soap percussion, but the arts are a different thing than, than food. Um, and I don't want to presume that there's any one way to do it and figure this out. So I'm just kind of curious for this chunk of time to hear your side of how things you know, knowing that the evidence you're talking about is anecdotal, it's specific to you. Um, so it may not apply to everybody, but I haven't asked the question yet (laughs) with all this preamble, what has your experience been? What was the sort of lead up to the quarantine and how is, what was your, what were you thinking about, um, as it started? Let's start there. Well, it's, 
it started, I guess it started to really feel real, um, March, the beginning, end of February, beginning of March. Mm-hmm. Um, because I mean, I'm kind of on the border of Chinatown and I spent a lot of time in Chinatown. So it was very clear that they had already been hit pretty hard. Um, you know, just people not being willing to, to go down there, scared to go into restaurants, you know, just being ignorant. Um, but so seeing that happen next door, basically, and then everyone around me starting to feel it too, um, all happened really fast. Mm. And a few of my friends who have bars um, that have been around for a long time, but like, you know, we pushed through 9-11, we pushed through Hurricane Sandy, we'll just push through this like everything else. And then the next day, Cuomo shut everything down. They're like, oh, okay, just kidding. <laughs> so, you know, I, there's a there's a uh, there's a taqueria here in Manchester that I, I go. It's called Lucky Taco. And I go there on I, I used to go there on a regular like three times a week just to like stop in, have a taco have a rum and coke and then head home. Like I would spend $9 and you know, it was there for 20 minutes just to, you know, shoot the shit while my wife was at work and I was not commuting. And I remember the like three days before they shut down, they were just like, yeah, we're not shutting down. Like everybody was, and it's, I don't think it was arrogance. It was just like, n- this has never happened. I mean, this particular, right. like, it's not something that you do in this industry. Like right. you don't quit. You just, you can't, you don't have a choice. Right. It's like so, even, even the worst, like Jack in the box, that, that fast food chain, like they had an E. coli outbreak and they still kept plugging along. Yep. Like you just, you, yep. you soldier on, you clean your counters yeah. and you soldier on. You know? Yeah. Cause that, the scary thing is like, when you close, you close. Like if you're, if you don't have income coming in for, you know, a retail based food business, mm-hmm. you can't cover any of your overhead and then you lose your staff. So even though you technically still have the business, what, what is it really without the people, you know, making it function and, you know, this character of the space that you're in, if you lose all of that, you're just done. Mm -hmm. So everyone was terrified to shut down even for a week thinking like, we'll just fall behind and never be able to come back. Mm. Um, And I was definitely in that boat too. um, Cause I, like you said, I only opened my doors for the first time in November. So we made it through like, a real weird, slow, cold winter and thought spring. Yes. Like Mm. this is it. This is where, you know, (laughs) we'll finally figure out who we are and we'll have lines down the block and do brunch on the weekends and all these things that never got to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, So we actually, we closed with everybody else um, the first two weeks of the shutdown um, because my husband actually, Jeff got sick with COVID. So, well, we just, found out that it probably was we mm. tested positive for the antibodies okay um, but we didn't know what it was we just were like we're quarantining doesn't matter mm-hmm. we're n- not sick enough to go get tested but you know definitely need to not leave the house mm. for a few weeks did you get so sick? we did that no mm. yeah you always were, you always were stronger than jeff anyway jacqueline I've, been, <laughs> I've told you that ever since i met both of you so that's I a think no surprise agree to me <laughs> I know that's not scientifically how the virus works, but you know, we had to cook for him. So, well, I think I think the virus probably looked at both of you and was just like, "Yeah, he's an easy target. We'll go for him." <laughs> he smiles way too much. Well, let me, before you move too far forward in your in your story here, I'm curious. Um, what was the first like? 
two weeks prior to like the like you so you you had to shut your doors one evening and knowing that you weren't opening them up the next day. Um, so yeah. percussion had a similar thing, and I you know in a, in a sense like it's a similar thing with music in that if you're not you know yeah we get some money making you know through donations and grants, but that's all contingent on us playing shows. Donors like to right. give us money because they like to see us playing shows at Carnegie Hall, and if Carnegie yeah. Hall can't open its doors that model is not a sustainable model on our end. So it, I will say for me, I'll, I'll own my first two weeks after this. I was a puddle of despair and, um, negativity. I wouldn't say negativity, but just like, um, pessimism. I oddly wasn't angry, but it was just like, I, I just didn't have the energy to even think about what it would take to rebuild a thing. It took me 15 years to build with my friends in the first place. And so I kind yeah. of just was like, I need to, I need to wall myself off and pretend like this isn't happening in order for me to have a clear head and whether or not that was a healthy approach. I don't know, but I'm curious for you. What was those, what were the, like the week or two weeks right after this happened? Like for you, mm-hmm. before I go into that, can we pause mm-hmm. and, I don't know, like, I'm in New York City right now, but mm-hmm. I don't know where you are. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm in, in Manchester, Connecticut. It's just east of Hartford by about 20 minutes. My Stephanie is a pastor here in Manchester, and we've been here, I think, now coming up on a year. We moved here last June. Okay. Yeah, because the last time I saw you, you were in Scarsdale? We're still in Scarsdale, yeah. We we probably chatted the, the Christmas prior, um, and then we moved in the June right after that. So, yeah. Cool. So, hello from Connecticut. Hello. <laughs> um, okay, so me personally, like business aside, when this hit, I was just sad. I, I mean, I have my emotions like pretty close to my sleeve on a normal basis, mm-hmm. um, but I was just crying over everything and anything. Like someone would say something that was like sweet and out of the blue, and I would <laughs> like. <laughs> You know, I'd get just worked up over everything. Um, I started drinking probably too much. Um, Definitely have been having cocktails on the daily. Um, But it just, you know, I found a bunch of different coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. Um, Went through like old books and old TV shows, like from my childhood that brought me comfort. And that's actually what I spent my time doing when we were like, truly quarantined at home I just I guess in a way I also sort of walled myself off and mm-hmm. just like relived a bunch of old comforting things mm-hmm. um while at the same time I was still like in close contact with my like business owner friends in the neighborhood and mm-hmm. we were all just in the same boat like you okay do you need anything like you know just taking it like hour by hour and and feeling helpless Mm-hmm. Because this was all before any of the um, stimulus stuff was like locked in and um, ready for applications. So it was really just like, well, we might as well be done. So let's just sit here and be in the moment because there's no point in planning anything, right. you know? Yeah, it's I found, I mean, I'm a planner. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know if it was evident by me as your teacher sort of like, you know, or just even as a teacher, you do have to, you have to think ahead. Like you, you can't, well, you can just walk in a room and improvise every time, but in general, it's like you learn how to make lesson plans and maybe you don't write them out, but there's some, you, you get good at a certain 
formula and yeah. you get good at when you walk. Like, I imagine it's not so different for you with a bakery. It's like you walk in, you see the amount of orders you have that day and there's a, you just have a structure in your head. There's a hierarchy of things that you know what to do first. Like it's like you walk yeah. in an emergency room and you see where the most bleeding is and that's where you go. And now it was just like, Oh my God, I didn't know I could bleed from there. And I don't yeah. even know where, like, how do I, how do I stop that bleeding? And, and what is the best way what model should we be looking at? It's like all of a sudden Carnegie Hall or to sell out the big room in Carnegie Hall is like 3,500 seats. But if they're mm-hmm. seating people every four seats, that means you only have to sell 900, <laughs> right. which I can do that. You know, like we, that's not easy, but that's way easier than 3,500. And so now all of a sudden it's but like, they sell them for the same price. And are you selling to the same demographic at that point? You know, totally like, like all of these, all, is like one easy answer anymore. <laughs> No, I mean, but it's just like, if you just start looking at like, let's just start, you know, when you shake up the bot, the, yeah. the, the, the globe or whatever, and you're just like, where do things settle out? What's the data? Well, the truth is a sold out show at Carnegie Hall, at least for the next six months is going to be 900 people. And the yeah. same with the Metropolitan Opera, like so percussion could sell out the Met Opera in the next six months if we wanted to. We could never okay. do that before or afterwards, you know, like that's just not a reality for you. Like. Yeah. I keep thinking I see all the local businesses around here and the online ordering curbside pickup. Um, there are literal law, liquor laws being changed to allow people to oh, do yeah. take out liquor. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Like that's going to be easy to rescind once people get used to that. And so I'm, I'm curious for you as we've got bourbon street going on out here now. It's, <laughs> <yeah>. it's, <laughs> it's, it's amazing how quickly we like shed our puritanical, like bullshit as a society. The minute we're, you know, a larger thing changes. So I'm curious for you, like what have been some unexpected things that you as in, in your business model now that you're like, Oh my God, I didn't even realize that I would have to think about things this way. Well, I guess because the business was so new, Mm -hmm. nothing really felt like 1000% set in stone. Like Mm. this is how we do our business because we, we've been tweaking since day one Mm -hmm. and we're just kind of, barely feeling like, Oh yeah, this is working and it's regular and we have our setup and this is our seating. Um, and it it was a pretty set menu at that point, but it had only been like that for maybe two or three weeks Mm -hmm. where we actually felt like we're not changing anything. So for me in general, it's been pretty go with the flow from day one. Mm -hmm. Um, so this was just like, I, okay, what's our next move? So we, we took our seating out like everyone else mm-hmm. and we made our front of house um, kind of like a little bodega market for baking pantry staples. Mm. Um, so instead of tables and chairs, there's like new shelving units in the front. Um, and instead of like being able to walk into our space and kind of like look around and everything, we moved um, just a plain old boring metal prep table right up to the front door. So all you can do is step into the landing and just look at everything. You can't mm-hmm. go anywhere. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, we've kept, I think most of the products the same. Um, we're doing delivery now, which I never thought I would do. Well, let me ask you, um, is, like there, are there, like, is there any aspect to that? That's like, you know, um, I don't know how to ask the question, but is there any part of this that's like, Oh wow! Actually, this was easier. This is way easier to do than I thought. Or this is a this. There's more. This is a more of a revenue stream than I ever imagined it would be. Maybe it is worth the work. Like, 
Is there any of these compromises that you're realizing now as a business owner that you will, like, let's assume things go back to completely normal. What will mm-hmm. you, what, what do you think right now on May 20, whatever it is, May 27th, you'll keep and what do you think you'll hopefully shed knowing that it will change? So I'll definitely keep the pantry items. Um, it's something I had never considered, but mm. it makes it like a one-stop shop and people are very grateful for that. They can just come here for their milk and eggs and butter with their cookies and not have to go to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Um, but something I wish I could keep, but I know I won't be able to is the citywide delivery because once streets open back up and people are actually commuting and there's traffic again, I won't be able to make the same loop in the same amount of time. And I won't be able to cover all the delivery zones that I'm currently doing. So I'll have to cut that back. Are you personally right making now, the deliveries? Yeah. Oh. I like, I start in my neighborhood and like I have a bike. So I do a couple local drops and mm-hmm. then I load up my minivan and I'll drive like all the way up to Inwood and then out to Flushing and drop in Queens and then through Greenpoint down to like Mill Basin, Sunset Park. And I loop through like half the city basically. And I, I won't be able to do that in eight hours with the amount of drops I'd have to make for it to be worthwhile. And you don't think that, um, like, is there, is it just a money thing that like, let's, when you get like, you'd need to make enough money to hire someone to do that full time. And that, you know, there's a cost benefit ratio there and you'd have to make way more money to be able to afford that. So it's not just an easy thing to say like, Oh yeah, once we go back, I'll just hire somebody to do. I mean, I'm asking sort of the most obvious questions here as a business owner to be when people are always like, we should just have more staff. It's like, really? Like, no, no, no. Yeah, totally. I agree with you. Tell me what's the next thing. Do you know what that means? (laughs) Do you know what it means to pay unemployment taxes and employer taxes? And like, do you know what a 1099 and a W2 is? Like, it's not just a, like, you need more help. So you should get more help. Like, and that leads me to this, like what, what, what's the reality on the ground in terms of your staff? Um, I, my assumption about the food industry is that it, it is a lot of folks who work on 1099s or some sort of contracted work where, you know, you're maybe not a lifelong employee of the party bus bake shop. It's like, and as soon as things, like you said, you lose your money, you lose your ability to pay your overhead and those folks have to be let off. Otherwise Jacqueline Russo enterprises goes down in flames. Like, so how, yeah. how has that part of being a business owner been to you uh, or felt to you? Well, <clears throat> so, Part of why I was so heartbroken in the beginning is that I had to fire my best friend. Oh, <laughs> like no. My my two um, full-time staff members are like a long-term baking friend that I've worked mm. with in other places. And I kind of stole her away. Um, and my best friend from college who works, manages the front of house. Mm. So it's just the three of us, you know, X many hours a week. Um, and I had to put them both on unemployment and I just, I felt nauseous doing that, you know? Um, it feels like an aggressive act. Like it feels like something you're doing to somebody, you know, even though, even though rationally that's not true, like you never would make this choice just on a regular good day, you know, but it does like the way this, what's that? And of course they understood. Right. Um, It doesn't make it it easier though real crappy. Yeah. Um, and I also had a few part-time employees, um, who as well, they had to be, um, let go. And the crappy thing for them was some of them hadn't even been working long enough to qualify for unemployment. Mm. So, um, I put together like a 
a sort of a fundraiser. Like I sold some merch that like we had designed specifically for, you know, everything goes to the staff, everything goes to the artist who designed it down the street um, just to have like money coming like through the door that I could give them something. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have been doing like groceries for staff, like weekly bags of food so that everyone has access to something. Mm-hmm. Um, but and, and this is skipping ahead quite a bit, but once we hit the point where I'm now basically back to open as much as I will be, like I'm not going to add any more days probably this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm open four days a week and I have two full-time and two part-time employees coming in. And, you know, there's plenty of other restaurants that still haven't been able to open. So now I feel lucky that I can give them hours, you know, yeah. they can come to work, have something to do, feel productive. Yeah. But um, we did have to basically put a call out. Like, do you have a car? Are you willing to bike to work or are you local? Can you walk to work? Because I, everyone I've talked to doesn't feel comfortable getting on the subway and I don't blame them. Yeah. So. It's one of the weird thing. I mean, right now, um, you know, so is talking about, we were having a conversation the other day. It's like, well, what if, you know, we're in New York, let's say, you know, so is based in New York, but I, you know, I live in Connecticut. Two of the guys live in New Jersey. It's like, we're spread amongst three different, for lack of a better word, three different countries right now in terms of how we're all dealing with, you know, what, how each state is, you know, lessening restrictions over time. Mm -hmm. If we're, if there's a huge spike in Connecticut for some reason and, or in, in Boston, and in order for me to get to Texas, which is open, I have to go to that airport. And my wife is a pastor who could give it to her. Con- it's like all of a sudden now, like, what are my ethics around my responsibility with a job? Is it safe for me to to fly to California or to Texas or or anyway, anywhere, you know, yeah. um, until there's testing enough, until there's ubiqui- ubiquitous testing where you can like a like a you know, uh, like diabetics do when they do their insulin, like you can just prick, boom, put your finger on a thing and it says yes or no. Like you have the antibodies or not. Like, I know it's not that simple, but until I know, or there's a vaccine that I know I can, I'm relatively protected. Um, man, it's, it's really tricky. Um, but um, you guys are trying to figure that stuff out, right? Like yeah, some sort of, yeah. Well, and it's like, but even then it's like, none of us know, it's like, how do you, I mean, none of us know how to make those sort of policies. You know, we didn't take that class at Yale. Like there wasn't uh, ethics in pandemic ethics in concert production during pandemics course at Yale. I wish there was, but um, so, yeah, I mean, I have my personal, and again, like what, you know, if you're what your Adam's wife teaches younger students, maybe not as susceptible to the virus. My wife works with older people all day. She could literally kill her congregants. If I was asymptomatic and brought it home from Texas, Mm -hmm. you know, and so I, it's not a like, how does a business make decisions like that when one of their members could literally kill somebody and the and another may not, you know? Right. Um, it's Again, it's like, you, I can't rationally make that decision. That's not a responsibility that any human being. No, sh- you shouldn't have. Should yeah, feel, it, like, well, I mean, it, whether or not I should, I have to have that decision in my head. I have to make the decision. I have a gun right. held in my head. I have to do it. But I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm, what I guess what I'm saying is I'm not equipped. Jacqueline, I'm not good at it. I can talk to you about how to strum on a set of double seconds or how to play Rogers A. Hebb's I Still Dream when a baby's screaming its head off in the front row. <laughs> but like, and even then, Jacqueline, I'm making it up, you know, like I don't know what I'm doing, you know. So, yeah. um, 
but, but, but for me, one of the moments, and I want to ask you about this, that illustrated that to me the most and maybe have empathy for institutions in general, like Party Bus Bake Shop, whether you like it or not, is an institution now. Um, it's a different size, different type of institution than, say, Bank of America or Amazon okay. or, or whatever. But you are an organization of people trying to make decisions. And I'm, I'm about to say something. It's like, of course, there are assholes in the world. And of course, there are people who take advantage of other people. Yes. But you were at the tip of the spear when the SBA loans, the PPP loans and all that stuff, the government was making this stuff happen. You saw it in real time, as did I. And Eric was the one that was dealing with those applications. Bank of America got the paperwork at nine o'clock from the government. Yeah. And then we're told that by midnight, they had to have their applications open. Yep. I don't know anybody that, that, that could do that. And yet there are people at Bank of America that are that are real turds. But I think most of the people there are like you and me. They're people. And they're trying to figure out how to make this work. And there's a lot – like when I saw all the stuff about like you know Ruth's Chris Steakhouse getting the bailout money and all this other stuff, it's like, well, that sucks. But the only reason we were able to get that money is because we just so happened not to fire anybody. Because part of the stipulation was that you couldn't let anybody go. Your payroll had to be – that's a payroll protection, meaning if you lower your payroll, you won't get that funding. And Well, at as least, long as you brought them back. As long as you brought them back. But yeah. we, we – you know, we you didn't – just maintained, right? Yeah, we just maintained. But it was like there were a lot of people who – like that was the fine print. You know, there's just a lot of businesses yeah. who don't – A, don't have the staff – that can read that stuff. Or like I just was saying, I'm not equipped to read that stuff. Thank God. Eric Chaw beach is like a super minutia guy. And he's, and he reads grant applications all day. Like he caught that. And we were about to run a payroll with lesser salaries, um, which would have negated our ability to apply. At least that's what we were told then, you know? And it's like, Oh my God, the chaos at the tip of the spear, like, of course it's going to be bloody. And I'm curious for you, what was that? chunk of time like whenever like the doors were open come and get it like how did you deal with that well i'm gonna be completely honest and i'm almost like part of me is embarrassed that this is even the reality of how that all went down Mm -hmm. um but a lot of smaller independent banks had access to a first round of application before the big ones did Mm. and the application wound up having errors and needing needed to be refiled anyway, mm-hmm. but I got my foot in the door that way Good. because I have an SBA loan to be, cause that's how I was able to build my business. Mm-hmm. And because of that relationship with the small oh, bank, um, I was able to get my application in via email, like person to person. And well, let me just you stop know, you for a second. That, you mentioned that you were embarrassed. Yeah. I, I just want to say like, I think, I understand the guilt. I get it. Like it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a like weird survivor's guilt. Having that, you know, immediate connection. And right. But, but I don't, d- don't want to discount, like you built relationships with folks over a long period of time to have that relationship. Like you're not a, you're not a trillionaire who just has concierge service. Like you're, you're a nice person who's worked with somebody over a long period of time. So like <laughs> get, cut yourself a break a little bit here. <laughs> So you, so you, you got, get yeah, totally. I understand. It's, <clears throat> it's the survivor's guilt mentality. Like, and yeah. I, I suffer from it in various ways too. Like I, I have the same thing. Like we're, I see so many students, per, you know, music students who are like formed a group and they're two years old, three years old. And I'm like, Oh my God, like I have yeah. guilt. I feel like it's my fault. You know, it's so of course that's not 
true yeah. but it doesn't mean like i'm one of the ones who's like get in the pool it's fun you know and now they're in the pool <laughs> and the the turns out the pool was empty and they dove head first into it you know and it was my fault yeah. and um you know but so like where oh. how is your do you i don't know how to ask this question and feel free to say it's too personal and you don't want to divulge it but when you are reading the stuff in the news about how businesses are faring about the amount of debt an organization has had to take on to survive how do you personally yeah. feel about your outlook at, on Party Party Bus Bake Shop in terms of like prior to this, we all have a drop dead date, right? Like you all can look ahead and be like, well, if nothing changes, I'm the organization closes on this date. So has that date. And for us, it's way farther in the future than most organizations. And I think it's because we've been an institution for slightly longer than others. We just have our moorings are a little bit deeper into the, 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 the bed of the ocean, you know, the seafloor. And I'm cur- curious for you. Um, where are, where are you sitting right now as a business owner with that sort of like looking ahead? Well, there's sort of two answers to that. If, if we were not able to reopen and we were just, you know, burning away cash, Mm -hmm. we'd be done in two months, Mm -hmm. never to return. I just have to give up the lease. Mm -hmm. Um, but if we keep maintaining the way we're going, um, we, should be okay through the summer and I'm negotiating with my landlord right now about the possibility of a reduced rent just because the value of everything, at least in my neighborhood is just plummeted. And Hmm. yeah. And how is your landlord, the conversations with your landlord? Like, I mean, this is another thing I've been hearing is people are like, don't pay your rent. And again, like I keep going to the, like, you know, that's a relationship too. And some people know their landlord and their land, like landlords aren't, all categorically scumbags like right my landlord's like, really so nice you know my guy the guy that i rent from here in manchester he's a really nice man and his wife is a rowing instructor like he's, they're just nice people like it's, it's um, the business like anything else and right and they have a mortgage sometimes and you're just like screwing the next guy so i, I not i don't want to be that person yeah um but we do have to come to an agreement if he wants to keep me in the space yeah you know yeah and what, um, so how, how have, now that you've started to open up a little bit, have you been finding, I've also been seeing the, like, there's this argument, somehow the mask has become a political, like you may as well wear a MAGA hat or you have like an Obama t-shirt on. Like if you're wearing a mask, you're a Democrat and you are scared. And if you're not, you're, you know, I'm just so like appalled that that's even a discussion. Um, yeah. like, is that how it feels out by you? No, not necessarily. Um, not here. It's just, again, it, it could be a very small, it's probably a very small percentage, actually. I mean, the, the number of people protesting at state houses is in the hundreds, and we have a country of 330 million people. So I, I'm trying to keep my my rage proportional to what's probably actually happening. Um, right. Um, and, it's now like you only get the headlines and you're not out there living it and seeing it anymore. So. Right. And by and large, like I've gotten a few people that just sort of look at you funny with a mask, but like by and large folks are generally keeping to themselves and trying not to make a stink out of it one way or another. But for you as a business owner, like have you had the customer that walks in without a mask and is sort of just like I, one of Stephanie's parishioners came to the house the other day and just walked right up to me. And I was like, I was just walking backwards (laughs) and it just felt so horrible. That's not me. I'm, I'm a hugger, Jacqueline. Like I want to get it. I want to go in for the kill right out of the gates. And like, what's that, what's that part of being a business owner? Like, so um, we we have signs 
right outside the door that we're actually we're requiring masks if, if you can't come in with that one we'll is it is it leave. mandated in new york yes okay yeah so that makes it a little easier for us mm-hmm. to keep that rule um and i would say for the most part everyone outside is being courteous and wearing the mask sometimes people will have them down while they're drinking their coffee but if they like get close to another person on the sidewalk they'll put it back up mm-hmm. um but it's it's more often that you see shade being thrown at the guy without the mask um because he's sort of like one in a hundred but um mm-hmm. mostly people i think are, are following the rules the one thing i would say that scares me is you know people out and sunbathing and like they might be all from the same household but mm-hmm. You know, you don't know that as the onlooker and seems like a few too many congregation um, rules are being broken in parks, mm. but not all the parks are even open. So, again, that's it's a really small percentage of the population, I would say. Yeah, I will say I'm very concerned at. I don't know. I'm very concerned that we as human beings, given that we can't. We can't even really talk about like anything hardly anything anymore without it erupting into some massive fight, political Political fight, or you're the devil or you're whatever. And people are messy. And like, I think, you know, again, it's like making an assumption about somebody when they're, because they're not wearing a mask or they are wearing a mask. It's just like all of the way we, I don't know. I just see this pandemic. It's like, yeah. And given the stuff in the news right now about how, black people are being treated this idea. It's like, yeah, cool. Let's put masks on and walk into liquor stores. Like that's what everybody's having to do. And I'm just, it's just an insane time to be alive. And I'm trying real hard. Like for me, the thing I wake up that I need to tattoo on my forehead is empathy, 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 like Mm -hmm. cut yourself a slack slack first. Like do not carry around your guilt, Jacqueline, that you got in the SBA program on the earlier side. It's a waste of your time. You're, you're so smart and you should be spending it on things that are like kindness and love and care and keeping Jeff out of trouble, you know, but Um, but empathy, like for institutions, empathy for Chinese people, empathy, like just empathy for black people, empathy for any, I don't know. I just feel like, and it's hard. Oh my God, Jacqueline, it's so hard to get good at that. And it's the one, it's the thing I keep finding myself being bad at. Really? You're, but you're such an empathetic person. I don't, well, I don't get that from you. Yeah, but you don't seem... You don't see me on my worst days, Jacqueline. It gets the thing is, is like because I try to like, like the, I keep trying to sharpen my knife, like as a human, and keep my axe sharp. Yeah. And I feel like I try to do a good enough job of talking to people. Actually, that's why, like for me, when this whole thing happened, all I did for two weeks was drink rum and coke and do podcasts. Because yeah. for me, that was the way, like, like, I don't know how to talk about this and I need to sharpen my tools a little bit and talk to people who maybe disagree with me or don't understand either. And we're just going <laughs> to sharpen our axes together. The problem is with a sharp axe is it cuts way deeper <laughs> when you mess up and you miss. <laughs> like, yeah. like now, now, Jacqueline, when I have a bad day, holy smokes, it goes right to the bone. And, and like when you talk about being embarrassed or feeling bad is like, you know, just having a weak moment, but, but again, like I will say the thing that I'm, I'll feel, I feel good about that. I want to shout is that I I at least am aware it's a tool I need to work on. And Mm -hmm. I'm so disheartened when I get online and people talking about just sweeping with broad brushes. And I'm like, you don't, 
you don't have any idea. Like when people are, I see friends of mine I went to high school with talking about like, I ain't coming in your store without a mask or I ain't coming in your store with a mask. You can't make me do it. God will protect me. And I'm like, uh, you, you're welcome to think what you want to think, but just, I would like you to think for two seconds what it's like to maybe let's assume Jacqueline Russo was, was a 72 year old woman who owned a bakery yeah. who doesn't want to die. You know, like, like, can you well, just, isn't that interesting? Like, People are having to literally choose what has more value, you know, like a sale or a life. And that is just like, it's it, bonkers. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's just a, it's a really tricky time. Again, like I'm sort of rambling now cause I don't, we're at the tip of the spear and I'm just really grateful Jacqueline to, to know that there are younger folks like you who are smarter and, um, than me and are out there doing the, doing similar things that I can call and get advice on. Um, because this is one of the things that's hard to tell students. Like when you were a student, when Jeff was a student, there's a lot that's just like, like I keep trying to tell you guys, like, I don't know what I'm doing and here's the number of times I've messed up and here's how I figured it out. Because at some point you're going to do that and you're not, none of us know what we're doing. Like stop pretending like we know what we're doing. John Haas doesn't know what he's doing. I don't know what I'm doing. Sheila E. doesn't know what she's doing. Like, we're all just getting up and being like, well, Josh Quillen Enterprises is up for business, you know, <laughs> like, and that's what we're doing every day. So, Jacqueline, all that is to say, um, I'm really proud of to watch you do what you're doing. I'm really psyched to see the party bus, party bus a go-go start from a, like, vacation thing with your buddies and it morph into this, a real brick and mortar place that has real mm-hmm. estate, has air moving in and out of it, um, and has people. Um, and I'm grateful that you're willing to sort of share your cross section of the, the tree with us today. And as things progress, if you wouldn't mind chiming back in with me, maybe in like two or three months, just it to sort of fine. catch up and yeah. you, maybe it'll be the like, Hey, we're going to so percussion and party bus, a, go, a party bus bake shop. We're going to throw a, we're going out of business sale. The two of us we'll <laughs> we'll play and we'll play in, in your front, in your front stoop for people. Yeah. And um, we'll get free baked goods out of it. If we can do a little trade, I'd appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Jacqueline, um, is there uh, before we go, just in case for folks who maybe don't live in New York um, or live in New York and don't know about, Party Bus Bake Shop. What is, um, where can folks go to find out more about what you're doing? Um, like all the like most timely updates would definitely be on Instagram at Party Bus Bake Shop. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can read all about us on our website, partybusbakeshop.com. And we have a full online shop. So if you are in New York City um, and you don't feel like standing in line, you can pre order and just, you know, pick up curbside. No problem. And in terms of your you driving around, dropping off baked goods, um, knowing that 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 exclusive concierge service from Jacqueline Russo is going to be going out of business soon, um, or going by the wayside, <laughs> how far are you willing to drive with your amazing baked goods? Should someone say want a pie? Or I've right now I've got a fourteen mile radius going, so I might have to stretch a little bit. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe people, if you're willing to chip in an extra hundred bucks, I'll, I'll pay you. I'll pay you. I'll add an. What's is your drive to Connecticut fee? Just an additional like, is there like a charge, like 150 bucks? You'll drive all the way up here and drop off some baked goods. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Don't test me, Jacqueline. You may be driving up Route 91 here. <laughs> hey, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Tell Jeff I said hey and um, keep me posted. Okay. No problem. Thanks, Josh. All right. Take it easy. Bye, Jacqueline. Bye.
Okay, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, this episode was brought to you by Liquid Drum, liquiddrum.com. Videos that are hilarious about triangles, tambourines, you name it. Todd Meehan down there is toiling away, meeting every one of your auxiliary percussion needs. Liquiddrum.com, check them out. And also Kyle Dunleavy. Kyle makes and builds all of the steel drums that I personally, personally play at NYU, Princeton, and in So Percussion. Uh, I teach on his drums, I play on his drums, I record on them. Why? Because he builds good ones and he's a nice guy. Check him out, dunleavypans.com. Okay, talk to you soon.